welcome to another episode of Fans in Motion, as Andy would say, the Night Ranger podcast that you didn't know you needed. I will not uh, do a opening lyric. We'll save that for the next episode. But joining myself, Brent, and Andrew is one of the ma- the man myth, the legend. He is one where. Of the- right there <laughs> um <laughs> he is one of the co-hosts of one of the uh, best kiss podcasts out there called three sides of the wait Point. wait 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 a second I, I didn't send you one of the best the copy i sent you was <laughs> the best editorial well, liberties i I, <laughs> I i i i i sent that back to tommy and he made some corrections on it um i'm stopping but, uh, payment on your check that, uh, okay <laughs> But three sides of the coin, one of the great Kiss podcasts out there. We, uh, you got what Branville Marketing, uh, that does a lot of the uh, groups that we all love. I know you got a, you've been doing a lot of stuff for Wasp. So if you've been seeing that stuff online, that's your guy right there. And he is a blue Kool Aid drinker. Everybody, welcome, Mike Branville. Yeah, actually, I'm drinking. I'm drinking. Let me see if I can get it right. Yeah, a red, big gulp. red, red. Oh, so I'm re- drinking Gene. I'm yeah. drinking Gene today. All right. And uh, for those that don't know, the blue Kool Aid uh, little line uh, basically, um, hey, so a lot of people think that the space spaceman's Tommy Thayer, and a lot of people don't know that the original spaceman is ace freely and we call them sometimes the blue kool-aid drinkers but we love ace we love peter um i think brent likes Vinny. so did, did you ever do you ever see i don't know it was three four longer than that five years ago we gave away on three sides of the coin autographed blue kool-aid packets yeah we had ace autograph these packets for us <laughs> I don't yeah. think I saw that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we. I, I, to, to, Tommy Summers at some event he was at with Ace had Ace autograph like four, just a small blue Kool Aid, raspberry Kool Aid, you know, Ace Fraley written on it, and we we gave them away. We gave them away as a contest prize. You know, win awesome. win autograph blue Kool Aid. <laughs> and for that. for those that you know, in the Night Ranger world, we kind of have like the somewhat like the jeff watson and you know carrie kelly and joel hoekstra it's nothing compared to the kiss world when you've got people who argue about ace freely and uh tommy thayer wearing the makeup and vinnie vincent saving kiss and i i generally think you know really the only safe place to go is that eh, we kind of like bruce Kulick. um we don't get <laughs> yeah a- i mean <laughs> I, you know we've all we, we've always said that we're like you know the only people that in in kiss who have never caused any controversy that you can't say anything bad about is is really, I mean, Bruce Kulick, Tommy Thayer, Eric Singer. Now, yeah, you could have an issue with the makeup on on Eric and Tommy, but as people, they've never done anything. I mean, how can you get mad at Bruce Kulick? What are you getting mad at Bruce Kulick for? Yeah, he's done nice nothing to piss. He's done nothing to piss anybody off. He's just been a great guitar player. Well, he did play guitar on that, uh, as a lot of KISS fans don't like. There's a record you might not uh, know, but it came out in 1987 called Crazy Nights. Um, Best I, KISS record ever. I guess that's that could be an argument. Uh, uh, produced. Not an argument. It's 
fact. I would I would say you played on Carnival Souls too. Yeah, oh, no, yeah. that is the worst Kiss record uh, ever. Ever. Uh, that's a good I, it, Mike, it, I completely it is, agree. It is the let's put it this way, it's a great album that shouldn't have had the Kiss logo on it. It could have been Bruce Kulick's solo album, and that would have been great. Uh, it's just not a Kiss record. It's Sorry, it was Kiss. Master it was Kiss slave. trying to be grunge. Hey, yeah. you know what? Kiss tried to be a lot of things throughout the ages. No, they, 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 they've jumped trends many, many times, but let's be honest. That one Aren't... failed. Kiss Aren't... being sad and depressing. <laughs> it's not what you think hell. of. Yeah, you don't think of that. And let's be honest, Gene and Paul are worth hundreds of millions of dollars. How can they write sad and depressing right. songs? Right. <laughs> they can't. Exactly. But Crazy Nights ties in to Night Ranger with Ron Nevison producing Neverland. And I think he also did some production work on the acoustic record. It came out about 10 years ago. And he also produced the two damn Yankee records. So uh, there you go. But the reason why we got Mike Brandvold um, on the podcast is we are going to time travel back to 1983. Kiss has just released. Um, that would be 82 then. 82. Well, we're, well, yeah. we're traveling well, to 83 because that's when the eight... tour is. Um 82 is when the album was released, but 1983, Night Ranger jumps on really their first huge tour, um, mostly throughout the month of January of 83, and are touring with Kiss, who had just released the record Creatures of the Night, which in the Kiss, you know, world, it's still admired, still many people's favorite Kiss record, and Kiss was on the... I guess downturn, you had albums that kind of didn't live up to expectations, which was Unmasked, The Elder, which was a concept album, totally failed. And Creatures of the Night was their attempt to kind of find their identity again and make a hard rock record. Um, And they went to tour the United States. Um, We'll talk a little bit about that tour. Uh, But... uh, Mike, we, we already know how Andy and Brent got into KISS. How did you uh, get into KISS, Mike? Um, 1976, all the way back. Um, my mom joined the RCA Record Club and told my sister and I, we, we, <laughs> we could each pick one record from the record club that we would want. And, you know, in 1976, I'm, I didn't have older siblings that influenced my music. So I was discovering music completely on my own. I mean, you know, my first record was The Love and Spoonful. I remember buying ABBA. You know, I was kind of all over the place. I was like, yeah, music I love, but I'm not quite sure what I love. But I remember one of my best friends across the street talking about Kiss. He was three years older than me. And he, I heard him remember talking about Kiss. And I'd heard of Kiss. Hadn't heard them, but I've heard of them. And I said, uh, yeah, okay. I'll get the Rock and Roll Over album. I mean, the cover looked freaking cool. I'll get the Rock and Roll Over album. And so, you know, it shows up a few weeks later. And to this day, I mean, this is what's special about music. I 
anytime I hear I want you, which is the first track on side A of Rock and Roll Over, I am immediately time warped back to our old living room, giant console stereo system. You know, it's got a built-in eight-track player and it's got the lift-up, you know, wood yeah. cabinetry. You know, now back then you were like embarrassed by it, but now I'm like, God, I would kill to have yeah. a killer cabinet system like that. Yep. But I, you know, whenever I hear I want you, I'm taken back to a memory of me standing in front of that stereo cabinet, <laughs> picking up the needle, dropping it, and hearing those first sounds coming off of rock and roll over. I mean, yeah. it's just, you know, Thankfully, my first song on my first Kiss album was something as great as I Want You and Rock and Roll Over. But, you know, at that moment, that was it. I was just hooked. Yeah. I just got hooked, you know. And, you know, I remember as a kid watching watching them on Paul Lynn Halloween special and just like sitting there, you know, on the floor, just like, seeing here yeah. what is this you know i wasn't sitting there like you know going oh they're lip syncing oh look at the mm -hmm. cheesy dance i was just like oh my yeah. god these guys these guys look what is this you know it was just you know as we say on three sides of the coin timeline is everything so you've got to try and imagine putting yourself into the shoes of i don't know what would i have been back then 12 13 years old and seeing kiss live and you know live meaning on a television show not just a yeah. picture and your mind is just like what is it nothing like that nothing like that ever existed before it was just like these are real life superheroes not not batman not Superman. Yeah. We knew as kids, they were cool. Batman and Superman were cool. But we also knew they were just comic book characters. They weren't real. Yeah. They were cartoons. <clears throat> These were real guys that were like superhero characters. And it's like, Jesus Christ, this guy's breathing fire. And Paul Stanley's all over the place. It's just like, you know, that just cemented in my head kiss you know and and for me you know i got into kiss after kiss alive in the first three albums so i had to go backwards in time to discover those albums my kiss was rock and roll over destroyer kiss alive 2 mm -hmm. super kiss super yeah. kiss when they were already at their freaking peak in the 70s and that will forever, I mean, that's why to this day, it's like no disrespect to Kiss Alive for as important and influential of an album as that was. I don't listen to that album at all. I always listen to Kiss Alive too. It's yeah. just like, that is the monster bombastic, larger than life Kiss to me. And Rock and Roll Over, like I said, thank God I picked an album as good as that because that's still honestly stands as the best studio record kiss ever recorded in my opinion it is the most solid well done album 
start to finish. Destroyer is great, but you know, as we all know as fans, Destroyer's got other sounds, it's got orchestras, it's got other things adding to it, which makes it great. But rock and roll over is just a in your face, raw, hard rock album. And you and 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 I'll and real quick, I'll be honest. Love Gun didn't impress me as the follow-up. I thought Love Gun was way too commercial sounding. I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. it's it's cool. It's got some good songs. Wasn't rock and roll over. Was not nothing has come close to in my mind, the perfection of rock and roll over. And I, re- I remember when I got that album opening it up and it's like, my God, there's this merchandise form in here. There's a sticker in here. I was like, this is freaking so cool that they're giving us all, you know, I couldn't afford anything as a kid, but I could sit here and, and wish it was like, you know, the Sears wish book at Christmas. I want that. I want that. I want oh, that. Yeah. I want that. I mean, it was it was amazing to be a young kid in the 70s discovering kiss at for what they were back then yeah and i'm not taking away from anybody who's discovered them in the 80s 90s and onward but there was just something so special like you just you didn't know what this was you couldn't figure this out it was it was so different. It was just well, you mentioned crazy. You mentioned timeline, and I think what you also you got to think about is there. You know, you couldn't just get on a phone or a computer and go see them whenever you wanted. You had oh, to no. sit down and you know find out if they're going to be on, and when they are on, like the the show you were talking about, you can't record it. So there's it's no just, recording. Yeah. If if you yeah. miss the show, yep. you miss the show at back then Forever. for eternity. Yep. Forever yeah. in your mind. You know, and the only way you knew of a show was hopefully you guys got TV guide or the Sunday supplement of the upcoming and again, yep. this is hard for a lot of people to comprehend. First of all, there was only three TV channels and like public service and a UHF. So basically you had three networks, ABC, NBC, and CBS. And every Sunday, the Sunday paper would have, here's the TV calendar for the next week. And you would open up literally this insert and it would say Monday starting at, and again, remember this is, this will be crazy to people. It wasn't 24 hours a day broadcasting. TV channels went off the air about midnight. Mm Mm-hmm. And came back on around 5, 6 a.m. You'd look at this grid and you go, okay, 6 a.m. This is what's going to be on every channel, blah, blah, blah. You would have to scan through there to see what was listed. Now, it might say something like Mike Douglas show. But unless you then dug down deep below to go, well, who's on Mike Douglas this week? You would completely miss who a guest was. So, yep. A lot of times it was pure luck when you found Kiss or your favorite performer on TV. It was just dumb luck that you stumbled across it. And to your point, if you missed it, you missed it. You know, it's like, okay, uh, I knew in advance they were going to be in Paul Lynn. And I remember telling my parents, okay, I don't remember what night that was back then, but I don't know. Tuesday night. I want to watch chant. I want to watch the yeah. TV. 
sorry, dad, you can't watch <laughs> Rat Pack or the FBI Rockford or whatever files. it is, Rockford Files or whatever it is. For one hour, I want to watch my show. But and, you I, know, there, there, there would be the back and forth. And, yeah. of course, I had a sister and she might want to watch something different. And it's not like everybody had a TV set in every room of the house. You got one color TV in the house. And maybe yeah. your parents had a small black and white in their bedroom. I, I it remember was a different time when and I brought you on if you were the same way. And Mike, you brought on a little bit when Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park was going to air. And like you said, I remember telling my, my I mean, it that was what, 78? Yeah, yeah. October. Yeah. So I'm nine years old at 78, October, 78, and telling my parents we're watching and kiss me it's family park i mean there wasn't i get the t i get the tv tonight and and, and god bless them they said okay and I, yeah you, mine were the same way you watch that now and like jesus what torture did i put you through but god it was i was mesmerized just staring like yeah. you said i couldn't believe i was seeing them on tv well a lot a lot of fans will say you know fan of the park was a joke it was terrible it was an embarrassment I was Not like, 1978. Are, 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 it wasn't. Are you, are you kidding me? As 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 a 13, 14 year yeah. old kid, I am seeing Kiss on network TV in prime time. There's nothing fucking cooler than that in my mind. And it was just sitting there, eyes wide open, absorbing yeah. it all. No, yeah. I don't want yeah. to blink. Back, back. Now, fast forward to now, and you can look back for how cheesy it was because. You know, I even tell people, I'm like, you know, I would give Kiss a hard time about going on Dancing with the Stars or American Idol and go, oh, my God, the terrible lick syncing. And look at those cheesy dancers. And and like every Halloween, I'll watch the Paul Lind Halloween special, the whole show, not just Kiss as a part of it. And I look at that and I go, oh, my wow. God, is that mm -hmm. freaking bad television yeah. that is bad comedy bad writing oh go dancers. get them boys you know you know if 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 i was if i was 25 years old watching paul lynn back in the <laughs> 70s i might see it that way but again when you're a 12 year old kid yeah you don't know i didn't know what i didn't know lip syncing i didn't know any of that i just saw my band is on yeah. this show and they're playing not just one song. They did three songs. Holy crap. Yeah. There was nothing cheesy in our world at that time. It was, it was Everything awesome. was cheesy. Where Everything else, was cheesy. <laughs> where else were you going to hear uh, Rip and Destroy? Rip, rip, <laughs> rip and destroy. With, a, with an Afro wearing well, Ace Frehley. Here, Come I'll, on. Get, I'll get you my uh, Phantom Park story. Well, I can I, remember. I'm I sorry. I just want I can remember the four times in the 70s I saw Kiss on TV. First was Paul Lynn, and I was losing my shit. And I remember we were eating dinner, and my my back was to the TV because I was the youngest. And my dad's like, What are you what are, what are you watching? I'm like, um, Kiss. You know, I was I was afraid to let them know I liked them because everybody thought they were Satan. Um that soon changed in the, in the family, but I remember that was the first time Kiss Meets the Phantom was the second time. I watched it on a little, like, five-inch television screen in my grandma's bedroom um, because they wouldn't let me watch it. I was be being babysat by my grandparents. The third would have been Don Kirshner's rock concert. 
that was the only time TV didn't go off at midnight on Saturday nights because, and I remember we would sit up and watch Saturday Night Live with the parents. They'd let us for some reason. And I remember it come, the, the announcing kisses coming on. I, I remember getting put to bed and I snuck out of the bedroom and went downstairs with all the lights off and had the TV down with that little earplug you'd get yep. at the radio shack. Sing, a single, single mono, mono plug. Yeah, <laughs> I plugged that into the TV. I'll never forget it. And watched and, and snuck back to bed. And the fourth time was 2020. That was it. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's not like today, like you were talking, you know, talking, you could just dial them up on YouTube. Um, that was it. But the, guy, the first time I saw them move and to see how Gene would prowl around freaked me the heck out. You had to change your your schedules. Yes. To accommodate. <laughs> if you knew if you knew they were going to be on in advance, you were changing schedules like. You know, we're not going trick-or-treating that early or, you know, yeah. no, we're not going to go to McDonald's tonight. I'm staying. I mean, that, that, that that's how it was back then because you're right. You couldn't – it wasn't going to be rebroadcast a week later. It wasn't going to be rebroadcast later that night. It wasn't being rebroadcast on a different channel. And there was no VCRs. Nothing was being recorded. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know – Although I will say I do remember sometimes where I would sit there with my tape player and I'd use my <laughs> tape deck to record what I heard on TV so I could at mm-hmm. least listen back. I did that for like a few PM magazine appearances and stuff like that. Well, unlike you, uh, you know, Jurassic uh, individuals, I'm a little bit younger. I didn't get into Kiss until... 1991 ish and that's only because i was uh dating a girl named beth and in bmg magazine i saw a song called beth i'm like hey i will order this cd and uh see maybe i'll get lucky yeah (laughs) um now by by happenstance i own a cd by at that point i mean i'd seen some kiss videos on um the hot in the shade songs. Um, I remember, you know, I knew this was probably heaven's on fire and tears are falling. And I got that CD and Beth really didn't jump out to me, but like love gun and Detroit rock city, there was something different about those. And at the time, knowing those songs were older than myself, you know, that kind of like, like shit, this stuff, you know, is as old as me and it sounds fresh. Sounds good. Um, and I never knew, I didn't know Gene Simmons sang because everything I'd seen in the 80s was Paul Stanley. I had no idea Gene Simmons sang. And again, again, even in the 90s, it's still the same as it was in the 70s. You couldn't go to Wikipedia and read about the history. Right. Um, and I went and got the VHS of Kiss Exposed. And I remember <laughs> uh, I Love It Loud comes on and I'm like, what's this guy doing singing you know it's like gene simmons singing i'm like i didn't know he sang and then the more you get into it and i think one of my other early albums mike is uh kiss alive too so i'm in the same uh with you to where that's you know one of my uh go-to records but i remember there's an article with paul stanley and he's talking about these records you know maybe a paragraph or so about the records and i'm like i gotta find creatures of the night and that's back when it had the uh, non-makeup 
cover mm-hmm. on it. But even in 1991, you couldn't, um, you know, I knew Phantom of the Park just by reading some stuff and you couldn't find it on VHS. There was no eBay. No, no it was never, it was never officially. I mean, it's never been officially released as a, I shouldn't say that world vision, I think was a company that might've released it once on VHS, but it was like, $80 for yeah. the VHS and it went out of print so quickly in 1991 and, WGN yeah uh, I remember that some, some, sometimes it shows up as a yeah. late night late night movie yeah, yeah WGN uh, played it probably like 8 o'clock movie uh, 9 o'clock one of those two uh, but uh, yeah that was my first time and again you <laughs> had to find it in the TV guide or you know see the preview for it and uh, you know, but, uh, I didn't have that same, you know, I was a little bit older. I was probably 14 at the time. And, uh, where you guys were like, oh, this is amazing. Uh, you know, I kind of like, am I sure I like this band? Uh, but, uh, but then soon revenge came out and everything was right in the world. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I, I was, I was hooked from day one, did Again, you, Mike? First, did you, first moment I dr- listened to "I Want You," I was hooked. Yeah, forever. That's a great but, song. Was there ever a time, Mike, where you, uh, you know, because there's a lot of Kiss fan, you hear stories where, you know, start off exactly like where you're at, either at Alive or you know Destroyer '76, '77, and then there's a period where they kind of die off. You know, they're in college and girls, and then they rediscover maybe later in the eighties were, was that you or were, was it, were you lining up and getting the elder and unmasked? When they came I out? was. So, you know, the, the, the first album I remember buying and knowing the day it was coming out was probably lick it up. Everything prior to that. Yep, again, here, you know, you're talking pre-internet. Sometimes a magazine might list Kiss, but let's be honest, Kiss were not the darlings. As you move through the later part of the 70s into the early 80s, Kiss were mm-hmm. definitely not darlings. They were not something that that newspapers and magazines and record stores were going to make a big deal out of a new Kiss album. So um, it wasn't until Lick It Up that, you know, I finally was like, okay, I know when it's coming out. You know, I called the record store. They said they're getting it. I went and got it. And I'll be honest, I became even bigger of a Kiss fan during the 80s. I absolutely love the non-makeup Kiss. Love it, love it, love it. Now, are there better and worse during all these? Of course. The only period where I got a little tired of Kiss, didn't stop being a fan, was around 2008. So after working with them for many years... I just got so sick and tired of the exact same set list mm-hmm. and the exact same stage show that by 2008, I'm like, I can't go, I can't go see them anymore. That's basically what I cut off. It was like, I'm not going to see them in concert anymore until they change this up. And I didn't go to a kiss concert until 2014 then. Up to 2008, starting with the Creatures of the Night tour, I saw Kiss on every single tour, every possible appearance I could go to. 
up until 2008 where I just said, done, can't, can't do that anymore. I didn't go and go to the sonic boom. I didn't go to the alive 35 tour. I didn't go to any, I didn't go to any of those tours that I went back to the Vegas residency. And, and honestly, even since then, um, I may have only seen them one more time. I saw them on the end of the road tour in March of 2022, six days before everything shut down. Um, you know, and it, and, and, and that's more of because, okay, got a business, I got a family, I got a kid, other things become priority in your life. I mean, I haven't gone on a single kiss cruise because my daughter's birthday is November 1st. I'm not going to go spend my <laughs> daughter's, daughter's birthday. That's my daughter's birthday as well. I'm not going to go. I'm not leaving my daughter to go on a cruise with a bunch of Kiss fans. I'm sorry. My daughter's more important than Kiss. Much more important than Kiss. Hey, Brent, say, um, that, Brent, say that with a straight face. What's that? Your daughter's uh, more important than Kiss. Well, you got to figure. <laughs> I, I haven't been on a cruise. I didn't want to miss her birthdays. Plus, you're missing Halloween with them. I still yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, you know, Halloween's a big deal. You know, yep. and, and again, it's not because I disliked them. It's just like other things in life. I, now, I do remember we went to a KISS show in 2017. My daughter was three years old, and I took her to that KISS show. <clears throat> now, she only lasted one song, but she yeah. got to meet the band. She got a photo with the band. She got to, I mean, to this day, she's like, look, it's daddy's friends. It's daddy's friends. You know, so... To some extent, that show in 2017, in my mind, was the best bookend wrap-up for seeing KISS. Because my first KISS show was in Minnesota. We saw them in 2017 in Minnesota. I took my daughter to see them. I mean, let's be honest. Who would have ever thought you would have an opportunity to take your child to go see a band that was so important to you? And, and, you know, the band was like, sure, you can come back to the meet and greet and, you know, we'll take photos. And I don't know if you guys ever saw the photos back there, but, you know, we got moved in. They said, hi, how you doing? Oh, hi, Thule. Took our photos. And then we were getting ready to leave. And she's like, mommy, can I give the star man a hug? And Paul heard that. And Paul bent down, picked her up held her in his arms she gave him a big hug and the photographer got pictures i get teary-eyed thinking of it photographer took pictures of this i'm sitting there going oh my god this is the band that was my life is my life changed my life and i'm sitting here seeing my daughter get held picked up held and hugged by paul stanley i'm just like this is just i can't I couldn't ask for anything more after that. You know, nothing was going to ever beat that in my world of KISS fandom. It was just like, that's it. I just shared one of the most important things in my life with my daughter. You know, and anybody who's a parent, you know, that's what you live for. Yeah. Yeah. And it all came down to the uh, RCA Music Club getting rock yeah, and roll. Yeah, it, 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 it did. It's just like I got rock and roll over. I fell in love with it. 
you know, I was, I was just hooked. I was a fan, you know, the fandom grew and grew and grew. I went to shows whenever I could, you know, even during the eighties, it was still tough watching them on TV because granted you might have cable, but you know, VCRs were becoming more commonplace, but they weren't everywhere. And there weren't rebroadcasts. So it's sort of like, oh, if the new music video is being debuted on MTV Thursday at noon, wherever the fuck I was, I'm getting <laughs> in front of a TV Thursday at noon to watch the debut video, you know, or if they're going to do an interview on MTV, I'm going to be there for that interview to watch it. You still had to do that through the 80s mm -hmm. even. Just think how mm -hmm. different everything would have been if you had picked uh, April Wine record instead of rock and roll over um so 1982 creatures is released the store starts in 1983 u3 uh yeah who's are all kiss fans by then um uh is this was all creatures was the first tour all three of you seen kiss right? yep i yeah. met you know my my I've talked about this on three sides. My crazy story was on the dynasty tour, when they came to Minnesota, they played Bloomington, Minnesota, which is where I lived as a kid. They did an in-store at great American music, big record store. And I was like, mom, I gotta go see Kiss. They're doing an in-store signing. And she's like, okay. You know, and then there were thousands of kids that showed up. So many kids showed up. They had to lock the doors and stop letting people in. But there were still probably a thousand or so kids in the record store. And, you know, um, the quick story is I, uh, you know, that's when I got, and this was happening in September. Dynasty came out way before that. I didn't get Dynasty until that in store. You know, you go up to the end of the counter, there's, there's Kiss right there, standing there in makeup. They were three hours late starting because Ace Fraley, the blue Kool-Aid guy, was freaking late getting there. And hey, I pick hey, Curry, up. I, I had to get a drink, Curry. Yeah, exactly. I get my copy of Dynasty. I get up to the counter and the security guide goes, no more autographs. We don't have enough time for autographs. You can just shake their hands and go. And I was like, ah. and Ace just grabbed the album and he signed it. And then he gave it to Paul and he signed it. I couldn't get Peter or Gene's autograph on it, but they played in town the next night, Judas Priest opening. I didn't go to the concert. I don't know why I didn't go to the concert. It didn't even occur to me. I could go see them in concert. I mean, I hadn't been to any concerts yet. By 79, I hadn't gone to any concerts yet. Again, remember, no siblings to teach me the way. I had no idea bands toured. I literally, I thought Kiss was just coming to town to sign autographs. And it was afterwards, I'm like, well, they played the next night right down the street. Why didn't I go to the freaking show? Idiot, idiot. So, yeah, Creatures of the Night tour finally hits. And I remember listening to the rock station in Minnesota, KQRS. And and I heard the concert ad. My head exploded. 
it's one of those things again. And, and I did record that on a, you know, tape player up to the radio and I recorded the ad and I can still imagine myself when I heard that I jumped out of bed screaming, ran down the hall, mom, dad, kiss is coming, kiss is coming in concert. I want to go. I want to go. I mean, so it was just like, yeah, I could care less what album, what tour. It was just like, they're coming right. to town and I'm going to see these guys in concert. Thankfully, again, I picked a pretty damn good album and tour Yeah, to be my first one. I mean, that Creatures of the Night tour, mind-blowing. Mm -hmm. Now, um, uh Brent and Andy, you guys saw them like what January 9th, something like that. Jan January 9th. And, and my ticket stub. Yes. Uh and Michael, yours was a little bit later. Do you remember the date? February 20th. Uh, oh. Okay. February, February 18th, 1983, because yep. it was right. just the 40th anniversary of that first show. So at the, it at the was Metropolitan Sports Arena at, Center. At, at, the, at, at the Met Center and Fun tidbit, it was the first show where Gene started wearing his spiked boots. Mm, there he we go. He didn't wear the normal love gun metal, mm -hmm. I don't know how you would describe them, yeah. but it was, you know, prior to that, he was wearing the love gun types of boots. In Minnesota, he started wearing these spiked boots. And again, I, as KISS fans, we didn't know any of this shit. You well, know, what... you didn't know what he wore beforehand. You didn't know what what was changing. You didn't know anything. I just remember, you know, again, wide-eyed kid in a half-filled arena because, sadly, it, the tour was bombing. Just eyes wide open going, I am in the same arena yeah. as Kiss. They're playing right now. I didn't care one bit that there was no Peter Chris or no Ace Frehley. Now, did you, did you absolutely nothing to me? Did you know before the show that Ace wasn't with them? Nope, nope. I, I, I do remember seeing the concert ads with Vinny's face in them, and my first thought was, I suppose Ace Fraley changed his makeup. <laughs> I mean, what else was I going to think? You know, you don't know anything. Nobody, again, radio's not talking about it. Kiss was as great as the Creatures album was coming back to being a great hard rock metal band. And as heavy as that tour was, nobody touched Kiss back then. Timeline, again, means so much. No, They were ignored by everybody. Didn't matter how great it was. That That's when, that's when the makeup really became a hindrance to them. People just saw them as a cartoon makeup band. Didn't even bother to listen to them. So... You know, nobody was talking about Kiss. Sure, they were coming to town, and I heard the ad, but it's not like the DJs were like, oh, you know, Ace Fraley was in a car accident, and he's not going to be touring, but Vinnie Vincent's feeling... No, I didn't know any of that. And unless you caught the right magazine that had the littlest blurb that might have said that, you you don't know. You don't know. So it wasn't it wasn't until I literally walked into the arena, and I'm like, huh, it's not Ace. And they're like, yeah, this is Vinnie Vincent. I'm like, okay, cool. I don't care. It's Kiss. Yeah. Kiss well, was bigger than the members to me. I caught the news on MTV about two weeks before we went to see them. And I called Andy up and I said, Andy, I'm, Ace isn't going to be there. 
And Andy's like, oh, you're full of shit. Bubba, we're, we're, in, we're in eighth grade. Okay. Um, and I kept saying, no, they said some guy named Vinnie Vincent's playing. He's like, oh, you're crazy. And, and I'll never forget walking into UD Arena in Dayton, Ohio. We drove, his dad took us from Cincinnati, which is about 55 miles away from us. We couldn't believe his dad was going to take us to the show. I remember walking over to get the T-shirt, yeah. and you know this picture that's on the back of mine. Andy's like, "That's not Ace." That's when it hit <laughs> and me, I'm, and I'm like, "I told you, I told Mike, you." Like, didn't you have the uh, story that you didn't understand that there were opening bands? Like, maybe you thought like you missed Kiss. Was that your story? Uh, me no I, I can't remember who uh story that was but they were talking about the creatures tour and again you know how you were saying you didn't have a big brother or anything like that to show you the ropes that's what made me think it was you but they basically said they went to the show there's an opening band they didn't know that they just thought they missed kiss and now some other band was playing nope. and no. uh wow. nope. um so uh but it, no, I mean, I was, I, I made damn sure I got to that arena as early as doors were opening so I could buy as much merchant, you know, now, <laughs> granted things were a lot cheaper back then. So I probably saved up and brought 20 bucks, yeah, 30 bucks for merchandise, you know, and walked out of there with a hat, uh, two shirts, a tour book you know for like 30 bucks now you know you're nowadays you're like are you fucking kidding me 30 they bucks you got all that yeah they well, didn't have tour books at our show well they mentioned in the uh in one of these kiss books that the uh whoever was doing their merch i can't remember who it was uh but uh winterland uh, wasn't winterland uh no no yeah it wasn't no, winterland no. it was a it was uh, was a one-off company that did just that tour i mean you know again you got to think back kiss was and we we talked about this in an episode on three sides where we looked at a con two concert contracts for kiss and back in 78 on basically the love gun tour kiss was guaranteed forty thousand dollars to perform on the creatures of the night tour they were only being guaranteed ten thousand bucks ten thousand man so, you know, every Kiss's worth dropped significantly. They couldn't sell tickets. They couldn't sell albums. The music business was not really excited about Kiss anymore. It wasn't a it wasn't a money making business machine. You know, promoters were like, okay, you know, as a favor to you, because you did good business for us for 10 years, we'll book this show, but you know, a lot of promoters lost their butt. I mean, I know the Met Center was, yeah. the stage was halfway up. The top level of the arena wasn't even sold. And the bottom level was half full. I mean, there was like four or 5,000 people at the mm -hmm. Met Center show. Now, some, some shows did really well, but overall, I mean, we know for a fact, they canceled the Creatures of the Night tour because it wasn't selling tickets. Mm -hmm. They actually canceled the show the day before yours in Duluth, Which Minnesota. One was okay. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Duluth is a secondary market. They yeah. can't sell out the major market, let alone a secondary market. 
your attendance attendance was five thousand three hundred and seventy people in a capacity of twelve thousand seven hundred and thirty one seats. Yep. I mean, that was now, you know, back then I didn't give a crap. I was there and it was a great concert. And you guys who didn't buy tickets, that's your freaking loss was my attitude. But now you look back and you're like, yeah, that wasn't that wasn't good from a business standpoint. That was that was tough. Things kept getting worse for Kiss through the Creatures of the Night Tour. Back to the merch. Um, I just remember, you know, you guys talk about buying all that merch and obviously what it'd be worth now but uh whatever that company was they ended up selling all their leftover shit to like flea market vendors and um just wonder how much that would be worth today yeah. or just like it's crazy that that they couldn't um you know that's where kiss was they couldn't even sell um their merch which was what they were really known well, they for. were they were bootlegging it if i if i recall um hearing a story they were selling it in the parking lot Oh, there was yeah. always, yeah, there was definitely bootleg, you know, that was big back then was parking lot. Well, you still run into that every once in a while, but yeah, that's that shirt in the Creatures of Night box set is, is literally based off of a bootleg t-shirt. Now, people may be surprised, but this is actually a Night Ranger podcast. Um, now, we've been talking about Kiss and how they, you know, were at the height and, you know, they're they're on the the downswing but they they kind of cross paths with a band that's up and coming a band we are all fondly aware of a band called night ranger who had just released their first record um no in the november of 1982 they played a few um brad was still with ozzy till about the middle of december at the end of december i think night ranger played some west coast states with heart um and then beginning in early January, they jump on tour with uh, Kiss. Now, Mike... January 6th, 1983, Lexington, Kentucky was their opening night with Kiss. Rupp Arena. Um, so, and I'll let you three all discuss this. What's the state of rock and roll in 1982 now? Obviously, MTV start going to be coming into play and everything. Uh, you know, we're, you know, if you guys were all listening to Kiss and New Rock, were you guys getting in fights with, uh, you know, the people with the Devo hats and stuff like that? Or, uh, you know, Mike, I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say getting into fights, but that was clearly, I mean, there was a lot of, there was a lot of British metal that was starting to happen mm -hmm. then you had van halen over here you had you you know you had night rangers so so rock was and and to some extent i want to say over here in the u.s i would clarify it more as you know what arena rock bands were starting to become a bigger deal in the early 80s it wasn't until a few years later that the Sunset Strip hard rock metal bands really took off. But, you know, you started having, you know, and, and, and I don't say arena rock in a derogatory way because I love, absolutely love that. But you've got, you've got the, the REO Speedwagons, you've got the Sticks, you've got mm. Night Ranger, you've got more commercial sounding, commercial appealing 
safer bands, so to speak, than Sabbath and Kiss and stuff like that. So Kiss was losing their focus while other bands that were influenced by Kiss in some way, one way or another, some of them bigger influence and some of them smaller influence, were taking that Kiss vibe and doing something else with it. Plus the whole explosion of English keyboard pop, which Gary you know, Newman, the, the Gary Newman, the Human League, that you know, that sort of stuff, which I I joke with people. I'm like, back then I had to admit I hated that because that was if in my mind, if those bands were getting MTV airplay, then my band Kiss couldn't. So screw them. I but but secretly they were they were my you know they were my secret music that I listened to but wouldn't tell people about. I love that stuff. I absolutely love that stuff, especially now. It's like I'm fully out. I love that <laughs> heavy keyboard European, whatever you want to call it. It's it's catchy, it's fun to listen to. Um, but you couldn't I felt like you couldn't like it. I mean, if you were hanging out with your friends who were all rock and metal heads, if you said Human League, man. They'd like, fuck yeah. <laughs> you know, you couldn't, you couldn't do that. There were definitely different camps, different camps of fans and bands, and you couldn't. I feel like you couldn't like publicly come and cross over between all of them and say, "Yeah, I love this and I love that. I love Sabbath and Kiss." But I also love Pat Benatar. It's like, no, you can't. Can't do that. Uh, can't love Pat Benatar and Sabbath. It's one or the other. See, I didn't so, have that kind of experience uh, that way. I, I had the experience, and Andy had the experience. Sorry, Andy, I don't want to speak for you. No. You know, kiss. <laughs> you, you you little stupid little that, kids. Well, that, you know? that, that was always, to yeah, me, yeah. that was always, and to some extent, even today, Mm -hmm. that is what kiss has always been kiss has always been <laughs> yeah, they're not a real band yep they're pyro they got costumes yeah they got a fun show they're not a band it's like oh god you know we, we say on the show it's like you know if if you don't like kiss it's probably because you actually have never actually listened to kiss music because if you listen to their songs you'd realize they're actually good songs Oh yeah, I'll put "Burn Bitch Burn" on just like you know. Yeah, hey, you need to exactly. <laughs> um, you know what's funny is you talk about these segments. You know, like yeah, you can't like you know it's either Pat Benatar or Sabbath or whatever. Again, um, you know, probably a generation or two after you guys, to where I was in high school, you know, ninety one, ninety five, at the height of grunge, and all those bands that you were talking about. None of them were cool. And it was almost nothing like was cool. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, so you're especially like I said, you're I'm in high school and one, you know, it just seemed like it was one day later, all those bands are not cool. Um if if I mentioned Van Halen or White Snake, any of those bands, even even Sabbath and stuff like that, you you, you were nope. I, you I know were, exactly what you're yeah. saying because dinosaur. I I experienced that in, I, I distinctly remember in 1979, um, I had a Dynasty Tour t-shirt that the Kiss Army fan club had sent me 
when I attempted to join the fan club, but they'd closed down. And rather mm-hmm. than giving my money back, they sent me a T-shirt and a transfer and stuff like that. And I remember in 79, now granted, this is Dynasty. They're still, they're still drawing people, but it's Dynasty is not Rock and Roll Over, is not the debut album. And I would wake up in the morning and I'd go, I want to wear a Kiss shirt to school today, high school. I'm like, am I ready for the crap I'm going to take yep. for wearing a Kiss shirt to high school in 79? And I'm like, I'm wearing it. This is my band. But inevitably, I would walk into high school and I'd have a Kiss Dynasty shirt on. Some some guy would be like, Kiss sucks, man. Zeppelin rules. Deep purple rules. And I'm just like, oh, God. Yeah. You know, and all day kiss sucks now you, you know i would get that you know a couple years later i'm a huge cheap trick fan i'd wear cheap trick to school and people ah cheap trick they're has-beens they're has-beens man that was right. always the case it was always if you stuck with what you love when they became out of fashion you took ridicule for it so what happened during the grunge era that was happening back in the 70s mm-hmm. same freaking way well i guess what i was getting at was you where you're like ah, deep purple led zeppelin was all those bands it was just a whole group maiden like maiden was the uncle everybody of, became out of yeah. fashion uh, everything and there's a good visual visual representation of if you guys ever watched the uh, great uh cinematic uh film billy madison um where he goes back to school, he pulls up when he goes to high goes back to high school. He pulls up in his Trans Am. He's cranking, I think, you know, sticks, and he or maybe Billy Squire, but he's wearing an Ario Speedwagon shirt, and you know he pulls up, think you know, like, hey, I'm cool, and all the kids are laughing at him. Um, and when he graduates, he has a party, and he has you know like a hair rock band, but it's a mockery of it, and. Mm-hmm. That's how people saw it. Nineteen ninety-five. Uh, Mike, you remember uh, when you first heard Night Ranger? Or, you know what's your early? Oh, I pro I probably heard them on the radio back on that first album because I I do remember at some point around that Creatures of the Night tour. Maybe it, maybe it was after the show because we had the Plasmatics and. No disrespect to the plasmatics, but I wasn't a fan of the plasmatics. It was too, I don't know, too punk. I never yeah. got into the punk scene. It was too thrash. I never got into that scene. Uh, yeah, okay. Wendy O. Williams and the plasmatics is 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 not a bad match for for Kiss. But when I heard other cities were getting Night Ranger, I was kind of like, damn it! I would have much rather seen Night Ranger. Yeah. Than, than the plasmatics because even though i was you know i sat through the plasmatics as an opening act it was like sit down and just mm-hmm. okay what's You're how soon how, how how soon yeah okay good job thank you yeah. get kiss on you know i would have deeply enjoyed night ranger way more than the plasmatics would and you know that was always the case during a lot of the 80s, especially as you started getting more informed. You're like, oh, crap. You know, I remember I, I never got to see Black and Blue in concert. I'm a big Black and Blue fan. They never came to Minnesota supporting Kiss. 
they were other places and it's like oh crap you know we got Queensryche or we got I can't remember you know there's a plethora of bands and I probably you know we may have gotten Crocus or we may have gotten I don't know Kevin, who it was Vandenberg Kevin Vandenberg I mean the one that I did love was when when Wasp was on tour with Kiss on the Asylum tour yeah. I thought that was that was that was a perfect match, a good match but yeah. I I remember always like crap why couldn't we get that opening band here why did i have to you know no dis again no disrespect to queensrike i'm not a queensrike fan at all i oh, when queensrike opened i, I don't Kiss listen to it in dayton ohio people were fighting on the floor so i always associated queensrike for years with people just fighting you know i, I couldn't <laughs> i i didn't see what everybody else was seeing um about them i, I like them better now <laughs> i've got again i've got absolutely nothing against them whatsoever i'm not i'm not criticizing their talent their skills or anything it just isn't in my wheelhouse of music that i enjoy or like um you know i i am much more of a melodic hard rock fan you know, to the point, that's why I absolutely loved everything Kiss did in the 80s. That's why I loved Crazy Nights. Um, you know, and Night Ranger fell right into that. Night Ranger mm -hmm. was, okay, they're not, they're not just a wimpy keyboard band. They got, they got guitars. They got some, they, they rock out. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, as opposed to the extreme of Plasmatics, where I'm like, oh God, this is, there's no singing here. There's, there's no melody. There's no catch. There's, no, there's nothing hooked. There's no melody. It's like I feel like anybody could get up on stage and scream. And and the first well, naked woman yeah. you ever see live has got to be Wendy <laughs> Williams. I, 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 that, that, that would scar you for life. Well, Mike, talk of the opening groups. So you saw Kiss on the Creatures Tour February 18th. If you had hopped on your bicycle and rode to Kansas City, Missouri on March 1st, Guess who opened for Kiss on the Creatures Tour? Molly Hatchet. Molly Hatchet. Yep. yep. I would have loved to have seen that because Molly Hatchet was actually my very first arena concert. Really? The Beaten the Beat the Odds Tour was my very, and still to this day, I feel like it was the absolute loudest concert I've ever been to. My ears were ringing for a week afterwards. Um, and, you know, I'm a huge original Molly Hatchet fan. Um, yeah, I would have loved to have seen that. Is is that a good matchup for Kiss? No, I don't think it's a good pairing. But me as a fan, I love you know. Right. Those two bands are in my um, top five all time favorite bands. What's Kiss, Molly Hatchet, Cheap Trick, ELO, and Sticks. There's 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 a there's a wide variety, but those are my Five all-time favorite bands. We're going to have to uh, make a push to get Night Ranger in there. Uh, the, <laughs> Number uh, six. <laughs> Molly Hatchet opening for Kiss. Capacity was 10,003, and they had an attendance of 3,900. Oh, yeah. it's terrible. Terrible. That hurts to hear it. Now, I wonder how accurate this book is. Because if you go to the concert Andy and I went to at UD Arena, they list the seating is 
like what fourteen thousand or something. Uh, this this is one of these tiny arenas. It's a college arena. It's a college arena for basketball, and there was no way they had that many seats even in there. And I know they're counting for space and what have you, but they didn't. It wasn't as big as what they're saying in that book. Well, you well, could look I, up I, the, I'm the guessing attendance. the, you know, the authors of the book did a great job researching that book. But oh, I remember all they to your all, show with them, all they would, you know, all your, all they can do is contact the venue and the promoter and go, what's the listed stated capacity, mm -hmm. and you know. They're going to say 14,000. Well, is that 14,000 for a concert or is that 14,000 for a basketball game? Completely different, as we know. You, guys, you know, is it is it 14,000 for roller derby? You know, what what <laughs> yeah. what is that? It, um, it it it's very different from one configuration to the next. That was the Nutter Center, correct? No, it was UD Arena. Yeah. University of Dayton Arena. Well, that's so it's that's not the no, same. No, no. Nutter Center, no, that's right state. Nutter Center's opened up in the 80, After. 90s. Because I think the first Kiss show I saw there was on the Revenge Tour. Another tour that was a bomb tour. Well, was, I, and again, going to, you know, again, Revenge was my, you know, first really Kiss record and tour where how information wasn't available. You, go, you, you I got Metal Edge. The tour dates are in there for November, and they got Columbus, Ohio listed. So I'm calling Ticketmaster, Columbus, Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, and we don't see anything. We don't see anything. Well, it had been scratched because the tour wasn't selling so well. So I didn't know think of like Dayton or no, I didn't drive then, but I probably could have bribed an uncle or an aunt. Um, but that's just how. I mean, yeah. think about I, it. I, I, I remember like like you, it wasn't until the hot in the shade tour where I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm gonna go drive to three hours and see him locally again. You know, prior to that, it didn't even dawn on me that any of the band because once I discovered live concert, I was going to every rock mm -hmm. band I could go to that was coming to town. But I'd see him in town and that was it. It didn't dawn on me that's like Oh yeah, you know I could drive three hours north to Duluth, Minnesota, and I could see them up there the next night. I yeah. could drive down to Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I could drive to Chicago. Um, you know, it wasn't until I was living in Chicago, which is much more of a central area. It's like okay, I could drive easily from Chicago to Milwaukee to see a show, Chicago to Madison, Wisconsin, Chicago to Indy. Detroit, Michigan, Indy. You know, I, I drove um, to see Kiss and uh, Muskegon, Michigan on the Hot in the Shade tour. You know, four or five hour drive. You know, it's weird how we don't understand that stuff until something happens where you're like, whoa, wait a it second. Just, it hits you. I, I, I don't have to be limited to seeing them in my hometown. I could yeah. go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. You know, I remember back then you'd have to get a hold of that stuff that venue or that of the city to be able to get the tickets you couldn't just go right? oh yeah I there remember... was no there was no online ticketing you had to call Ticketmaster, the venue the yeah. local department store, yeah, department store whoever so the... who, well you know and that sort of made traveling out of state more difficult as well because again back then you were buying tickets by 
going to line up and you know months before a show when they go on sale and you go line up at the local department store to to get your tickets at you know when they go on sale at eight in the morning and you're standing in line for yeah. five hours just to be there because if you're the first one in that means you get front row seats you know it's crazy it used to as it was yeah that's what it meant if you were we the first it. person yeah. in ticket line at the venue you got front row yeah without paying a premium you just had to give up the time and yeah you just it, you it had great. you had to stand out outside in a line for eight hours yeah you Not know and, and sleep in a chevette being yeah. in Minnesota, if it was during the winter, that could be a little brutal, but That's, yeah, you knew what you were getting. It was and, worth it. Yeah. It was so worth and, it. And it was it wasn't it was almost the same even in '96 on the reunion tour. I mean, you didn't have the you wait in line, you got the maybe the first row at the venue, but with Ticketmaster, you would go to your local grocery store or whoever had the Ticketmaster, you know, system. And you would get there and you would wait in line and at 10 a.m. or whenever they went on sale, you would, you know, get your tickets. Then eventually start doing lottery at some places and stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, they, 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 they would they would give, you know, you'd get there and wait in line and then they'd come by an hour before the doors open and give people a number, random numbers. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wait a second, this person way in the back has only been here 10 minutes, got number one. That means they get to go in first. I've been here for eight hours. You know, that started to suck when when they started to take ticket inventory and spread it between different locations. So now all of a sudden you're like, I don't know, did the department store or did the gas station get the best tickets? You don't know. You kind of roll the dice. Uh, yeah, it, it, it really became tough. But, you know, it was, again, you know, not to sound like a bunch of old men sitting on the porch here. <laughs> It was, uh, it was a, it was a different world. It was a different experience. I mean, I remember, God, I can't remember which Van Halen tour it was. Nin 1980 something, 80, maybe 81 skipping school in the morning. And you know, you and half your class is standing in line at the local department store for four hours to buy Van Halen tickets. You had a great time there. Mm -hmm. And then months later, a great time seeing them all again at the show. Yep. The only it was way a I, concert experience. The only way I got around sometimes to get good tickets in the 90s was um, I would ask for one seat. And usually a lot of times there would be one seat either in the first or second row that wasn't sold, then that's how you could. Yeah. Well, that's, I tell people even yep. today, um, if, if you're going to go by yourself, don't bother buying tickets in advance. Just go to the box office four or five o'clock day of show mm -hmm. and just walk up and go, give me one of the best that you've got. Because inevitably what happens is You've got people who buy twos and threes and fives and sixes, and there's going to be an odd seat here and there that you can get. And they will, at that point in time, start releasing the tickets they had on hold for the band to use for their right. friends, family, fans, whatever. And if those tickets aren't sold or used by the band, 
they get thrown back out at the last minute to go on sale. Plus, once the stage is set up and the seats are all in place, oftentimes a venue will realize, oh, we can do another row. We can get another row of seats in here. We didn't anticipate that. So all of a sudden, you know, they put another row right up front and whoever had front row yesterday is now second row. Right. Because another row had been dropped in there that they can sell and you can walk up and go, what do you got? The, the trick is go single, go single. Give me the best you got. Inevitably, you know, your odds are you're not going to always get front row, but you'll probably be able to get something main floor within the first 15 rows quite easily if you buy a single ticket day of show. I did that for a Motley Crue show back in well, 2005, 2006, and I ended up sitting with Donna D'Erico, uh, Nick's mm-hmm. wife at the time. Um, so uh, Kiss just released the 40th anniversary box set of creatures of the night uh you can get it for somewhere between two and three hundred bucks um comes with all kinds of shit um going through this book i just realized they got all the like advertisements for all the shows um all the ones with night ranger opening up they've got the picture with gene eric paul and ace and all the ones with the plasmatics they've changed it to um having benny vincent on the uh, yep um um on the the uh, advertisements but in this book there's a full page where jack blades is interviewed and you can see there is the guys look at that fix yep the fo- the photo of the band of the night ranger and kiss together and briefly give some uh so, uh, you know, they interviewed Jack. Um, he mentions that they've always been the gods of rock. Night Ranger was signed to Boardwalk Records, who, um, you know, there's a lot of Kiss. And it was formed by Neil. That was Bogart. Neil Bogart. Yep. yep. And Bruce Bird was um, their manager, and he was with Casablanca during at least 78 on for a little bit. Cause I know there's pictures of him with the, the solo records and stuff like that. Um, and, but Neil Bogart passed away um, November of 82 and uh, uh, Joyce, his wife actually uh, um, took over and helped them as well. Uh, actually me and Kelly just talked about Joyce, the, uh, a couple weeks ago uh and you know he was talking about how much she was involved like with them doing like putting the dawn patrol record together and maybe you know doing like the uh some of the artwork and stuff like that and um but gina gina paul were nice to him the first day i walked into my dressing room i go into the bathroom to take a leak and there's gene with some chick against the wall in our dressing room and i'm like oh pardon me about 10 minutes later he comes walking out with this girl and i'm like okay this is rock and roll here we are Uh um we watch their set every night from start to finish from the side of the stage paul stanley's probably one of the greatest front men um he talks a little bit about eric's uh car's uh tank 
but then he talks you know again if you're you know kiss fan you know all this but again there's a lot of turmoil ace freely has just left Vinny vince has taken his place and almost immediately it did not work with Vinny. um uh, we were privy to a lot of drama with Vinny on the tour. Is pretty much a general consensus that everybody hated the guy. <laughs> um, we watched their sound checks because we had nowhere to go. We were basically living on the bus at that time because it was our first tour. Paul would be saying to Vinny, listen, you got to hit it with the audience. I can walk out to the front of the stage, put up a brick, and get more of a rise out of the audience than you're getting out of them. It was heavy stuff. I'd be sitting at the soundboard with their sound man, Harry Witz. At one point, Vinny would hit his guitar with a violin bow and go boom. And then he'd point to the left. And then the sound was supposed to go boom to the left. And then he'd go boom and the point to the right and the sound would go to the right. And Harry would go, watch this. And then he would hit the guitar with the bow and it would go boom. And he points to the left and the sound would come from the right. It was brutal. <laughs> <laughs> My hat's off to Vinny for hanging on through it all, but it was rough for him. This was Kiss's first tour without Ace. Um, I just don't think his attitude was all there. Maybe he achieved rock star status before he truly had, and that can be dangerous in this career. You're thinking that you're a big rock star before you actually are a rock star. I think some of the unrest also had to do with him not rising to the occasion. Gene and Paul laid out a lot on Vinny, and when Vinny couldn't lay, live up to it, they needed him to do or what they thought he should be doing. It really went downhill from there. And then he goes on to talk about how Kiss basically taught them the ropes and um, uh, uh, and basically showing them, you know, how to rock. He said, Creatures of the Night inspired us on our next record. We had to go right back into the studios, cut our second record, which turned out to be our biggest selling record, Midnight Madness. And there's heavy tracks on that. And it absolutely was inspired by those 13 shows that we played with Kiss. Um, the Creatures album was heavy. That show was heavy. And to us, that was rock and roll. Um, so there you go. You get a little bit of um, how Kiss and Night Ranger converge. And um, if you look on the back of Midnight Madness, uh, Paul and Gene are thanked on that. Uh, on that I remember record. when I bought that. And I went to the liner notes to see if they would say anything about Kiss, and I was so excited that Gene and Paul's name was in, in there when I was a kid, because they they weren't being thanked on a lot of albums back then. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, the 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 thing is, you know, the music industry in general had a lot of issues with Kiss, but Gene and Paul, and I've talked to so many artists who've been in bands that opened for Kiss. You know, they all say Gene and Paul showed us the ropes they treated us well they treated us with respect um you know it was none of the oh they cut our set short oh they turned our sound down oh they killed the light i i, I haven't heard any of those types of stories about gene and paul um you know i actually um i'm working with a a, a gentleman johnny o'neill who was in a band called dare force who opened for kiss on the creatures of the night tour in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, I think it was. It was a last minute. He he was like, we got a call. They said, you want to open for Kiss? Yes. You got to be to Cedar Rapids tomorrow. And they drove through a blizzard to get there. He goes, we got there, like barely made it to load in. Paul Stanley is helping us unload our truck. He's wow. taking our gear out of the truck to help us get in on stage. He's like, that's just incredible. I mean, it's Paul Stanley of Kiss. 
whether Creatures of the Night or the band was at a low point at that point in time, they were still, you know, just a few years back, the biggest thing in the world. Yep. Bigger than Zeppelin, bigger than Deep Purple, bigger than any band you could name. They were it. So, you know, in my experience of working with them, is the same way they're they don't have that we're too good to be doing it attitude and the, the the story i tell a lot of people from when i worked with them and i'd go to events appearances you know photographers would be like hey can we get a good photo they always made time to make sure photographers got great photos got as many photos as they need they'd give them the poses they'd give them the looks you know, it's just like part of me is like, God, these guys are don't have to do that. They don't. I mean, they are where they are. It's not going to change their career at this point. But yet here they are. They still do that. And I think in some instances, them acting this way with their support acts shows their support acts. You need to be this way, too. Yeah. Don't to, to what you were reading. Don't become that rock star before you truly are a rock star. Because, you know, it's pretty easy to fall down that that mountain real quickly. You get to the top, you can be nothing a year from now. Well, that's the case with Night Ranger where 1987, they're playing Sheds. And by early 1989, same cities they're playing clubs and i mean every every band basically goes through that if you've got a a long enough career as a band you're going to have highs and lows and your job is to figure out how to survive the lows and plan it out to get back to another high realizing that that second high is going to crash because Every musical taste change, the business changes, band members change, producers change, all of that changes. Your job is to figure out how do we survive the next year? What's what 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 do we do to keep longevity so we can get through one more year and you know keep the machine moving forward is all you gotta do. If you've been in this long enough. I think that's what all these bands, Night Ranger, Kiss, you name it, that's what they've become really good at, is how to keep their momentum moving. Momentum might slow down, but, you know, I mean, we've we've all driven in winter weather. You know, driving in snow, the key is never completely stop your car on snow. Mm-hmm. Just keep creeping a little bit on that snow, because if you're moving a little bit, once you get to the good patch of the road, now it's easy to really take off. And I think bands that have been around long enough have learned that lesson. You got to figure out how to keep things moving forward. Might not be the best of times this year, but next year it might mm-hmm. prove otherwise. I mean, you know, we can look at Kiss and go, well, gee, 92 to 96, what were they doing to keep themselves alive? A convention tour. That's <laughs> yeah. all. All they could do was sell out a ballroom 
to a few hundred of the KISS fans. But you know what? It kept them alive long enough till the reunion tour hit. Yep. That's what you do. And I and that, so, that convention kicked ass, too. Oh, it did. I mean, nobody else had been doing that. No other bands yeah. had done full official tours like that. So you, 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 to one, some extent, like what KISS is, should teach a lot of people is don't be afraid to try stuff that nobody else has ever done. Well, remember that $100 price tag? I mean, that seems so astronomical. Oh, every, everybody was like, yeah. I remember back then, fans were like, oh, my God, they're ripping us off. A hundred bucks? You're like, a hundred bucks now to go spend an entire day of Kiss Unplugged music, autographs, hanging with fans? It's like, that's a steal. Yeah, that was one of the greatest experiences I've ever had in my life with, with the Kiss event. Yep. And uh, And... You know, more to what you were saying earlier, I tell people that we were lucky as Night Ranger fans. Very rarely does a band in their fourth decade have one of their best decades, you know, being their fourth. I mean, yeah. we've had so many good, I mean, besides maybe like LA Guns or White Snake, very few of these bands release studio records, let alone. Well, I Thumbs up to, you know, Night Ranger is one of those bands who continues to work on and release music. There's a lot of bands. Hey, Kiss, there's a lot of bands that will not release music. And as a fan, I don't like that. I'm like, listen, if you are a band, that means you're a creative artist at heart. And don't you have the desire to be creative? Whether it's going to make money or not, whether it's going to go gold or not, shouldn't matter. You have this urge to get something out of you creatively. Mm -hmm. And you get it out and, you know, 50,000 people buy it. Great. But you did what you needed to do as an artist. I feel like these these musicians who sit here and go, now we're not going to record any music because it's not going to sell and we're not going to make money off of this anymore. I'm like, um, that's not what an artist is about at the end of the day. I, I, I get to some extent, you know, you can't do stuff and lose money, but at the same time, if you're in a position to be able to do it in a smart way and, and can do it yourself without record label advances, don't you want to create? That's it. Don't you need to create something? Or are you just satisfied redoing the same song every night over and over, and that's all you have? Is that creative? That's mm-hmm. performing. That's not being creative. Well, like I said, we got four records within the last twelve years, and all these records have been good. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a that's a difference too. Yeah. Is it'd be different if you know, like with Kiss, with them releasing like Sonic Boom and uh, Monster. It was almost like if I could get two songs that just are really, really good. And this is like a lot of bands. I'm happy, I guess. Um, but a lot of times you can't even get that uh, to where with Night Ranger, it's just like somewhere California, Don't Let Up, High Road, ATBPO. All these albums, you know, 90% is all keeper. And yeah, and uh, it's just we are, and they still sound good. They still look good. Well, that that you know, that's the thing too is I think you know, 
Night Ranger is one of those bands who realized it's time to stop reinventing ourselves. It's time to stop. You know, how many of these bands in the grunge era tried to become grunge bands? Oh, we're going to put on combat boots and cut off shorts. And, you know, right. the albums are going to sound a little more, again, grungy. We'll drop our tuning down. We'll drop our tuning down. It's like, I'm sorry, that doesn't appeal to the true grunge fans. And your fans don't like that either. They're like, what the hell, you know, to Carnival of Souls in the Kiss world. As a Kiss fan, I'm like, what are you doing? That's not you. And real, like, Alice in Chains fans are going to go, oh, come on, it's fucking Kiss. Right. You know, it would be the same thing. Please. Night Ranger being a grunge band? Come on. That, no. Of course, that's there's not that's not honest. That's not real. So I think a lot of the bands like Night Ranger have realized, just be yourself. Just record what you are um, and stop overthinking and just 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 be a rock band you know and and i like that i i have no problems with that i'm not interested in any of the bands i like trying to reinvent themselves i just want them to be themselves well, yeah that's why we yeah. like night ranger for the melodic rock like don't yeah well, we like thing... you because of don't tell me you love me and you know sister christian don't Ig- ex- exactly exactly if, I, you know i, I want like you alice in chains there, there's an alice in chains I want you to sound like an arena rock band. That's yeah. what I want. I don't want you to sound like a sad, depressed band or pretend to sound like you're sad and depressed. Yeah, because it's not who you are. Well, or, was... or, you know, what other trend you might jump, you know, you know, the other one is common is like, I don't want you to try and become a country artist. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're not a country artist. Don't. I'm sorry, Steven Tyler. I'm sorry, Robin <laughs> Zander. You're great at what you do. You're not a country artist. They bon made Jovi, a stop. They stopped in Nashville. You're not a country band. You're not a country band. Don't what? even try because the country fans aren't going to buy it and the rock fans aren't going to buy it either. Yeah. One thing that, uh, you know, you talk about the 90s and bands changing appearances and sounds, you could almost say Jack Blades went the very opposite direction in 1995 with that first Shaw Blades record that him and Tommy Shaw yeah. put out because, you know, I'm thinking I'm going to get a rock record. And at that time, if you did get a rock record from these bands, they were doing the grunge and that record was, you know, acoustic, acoustic yeah. melodic. And definitely, I mean, from a, like, you know, a, a labels point of view, probably not the record they probably wanted. Um, and it bombed, but, uh, yeah, it was totally different than what any band was releasing at the time. And Night Ranger, you know, with that Neverland record, nineteen ninety seven, uh, you got to remember again, like what Mike said, these bands are doing harder records and grungier records. Nineteen ninety seven, the reunion record, there was none of that on Neverland. It was full melodic rock and guitar it, solos. It, it, it's very easy for bands to jump on trends. And I'll be the first to admit Kiss is one of the bands that mm. through their entire career has jumped on trends. Um, it's very easy to do that. I mean, and, and, and maybe that's part of what you do as a band to survive the next year is yeah. just jump on a trend to buy yourself some time so you can come back and do what you really are. It takes a lot of strength 
to not jump on a trend when you see the entire industry going away from you and you're like, we're staying to what we, we know we do best. That's yeah. tough. Yep. Um, Mike, we'll put you on the spot. Where, have you seen Night Ranger live? I have. It's been, it's been a few years. Um, I want to say it's probably been at a, so where I live, the Marin County Fair, which, you know, if you're a diehard Night Ranger fan and you know your history, Marin yeah. County is where these guys grew up, came out of. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I live, I live 10 minutes away from Mill Valley, which Mill Valley, Jeff Watson lives over there. Home That's, of BJ Honeycutt. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Not a lot of people I mean, know what? that. Yeah, no, 100%. What? That's a deep pull right there. BJ Honeycutt from MASH is from Mill Valley, California. And they even mention, he even mentions going to have dinner on a date night with his wife in Sausalito, which is where I live. Nice. Um, you know, so <laughs> one, of the, one of the cool things about being here is like, Marin County is the heart of Northern California, San Francisco music scene. But unlike LA, which it's filled with paparazzi and people trying to find the rock stars in their houses, none of that happens. I mean, it's just so laid back and so casual. You know, Robin Williams used to be from here. Yeah. You know, Journey was from here. Mm. You know, the dead were from here and you go back to Janis Joplin. I mean, yeah, I, I literally live right up the hill from the record plant in Sausalito, which I, I can't say I know for sure, but I would bet Night Ranger did some recording at the record plant in Sausalito. They yeah. had to, you know, whether it was a full album or or overdubs or something. I mean, it was... An extreme, that's where Fleetwood Mac recorded rumors. You know, Metallica's recorded here. Everybody's recorded here. Um, I, I met Ron Nevison down there a number of years ago when he was talking about stuff. So this is like the heart of rock. Huey Lewis, the heart of yeah. rock and roll. I mean, Y&T. Huey Lewis is from here. Y&T. Um, you know, between, between Mill Valley and heading up to Santa Rosa, that's there's a lot of musical history here and it's kind of cool here here's a quick side story not really night ranger related but you know remember eight six seven five three oh nine by yep. tommy two-tone great song it was written by this guy by the name of alex call tommy two-tone didn't write the song alex was... call wrote the song alex call wrote hits for pat benatar he wrote hits for Huey Lewis, um, and he did he did like a storyteller's show, not in Mill Valley, but a local small town where he played the songs and he told the stories about how he wrote oh, these wow. songs for these big stars. That would have been great. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's there's there's so much of that deep musical history here and that's why it's cool to say oh yeah i, I saw night ranger play here in marin county it's like you know I this could, is their home this is their home i gotta now, show you granted something, mo- I, uh... most most of the band members don't live here anymore but yeah. 
it's it's like saying New York City's kiss is home. They don't live there, but yeah. they'll always be their home. You know, they're ending the tour, Madison Square Garden. Makes you know, sense. I think I think I think Marin County's probably, you know, next time you talk to them, you know, it probably holds a very very special place in Night Ranger's heart just to be able to come back and play here anytime. Yeah. Mike, I uh, I once did a sh- went to a show at uh, in Petaluma. Okay, Mystic okay. Theater. The Mystic, yeah. I ripped that off the walls. I walked out. And uh, yep, <laughs> was that? It was uh, that. Well, that was the Neverland tour. So it was March of '97, I think, mm-hmm. is when I saw them. And uh, yeah, I was right there in Santa Rosa and Petaluma. Yep, love that area. It's fan- yeah, beautiful. I mean, it's 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 right near wine country around here, and there's just again so much deep musical history here you know i i used to before living in sausalito i i did live in san francisco proper and i lived five minutes away from the old journey headquarters in downtown san francisco i mean they were no longer there but it i think now or at least back then it was an indonesian um uh, uh what am i trying to think of consulate um but you know it this was the headquarters. Like if you watch the journey home video for the frontiers tour, you can find that on YouTube. That's, that's where journey did everything out of Hmm. this office. So it's, it's cool to run into people and see these old buildings and learn the stories of like, Oh yeah, that's the restaurant. The bands all used to hang out in after they do a show. And that's the rock and roll seven 11 where when they were done recording at the record plant, they'd go to the Seven Eleven to get snacks and food. And, um, there's and there's, there's, a, <laughs> there's a lot of deep musical history here, which is just real. I love that. I love it. Did um did you ever hear anything that two thousand? What year would that have been? Two thousand fourteen. The night or the uh, Kiss and Def Leppard tour. And um, I think it was a band called Cro- Cobra and the Lotus opened. Yeah. Um, I also heard, or I thought I heard that Night Ranger was mm-hmm. up for that spot, but uh, maybe the money wasn't exactly what they wanted. Do you ever hear anything about? I, I hadn't heard. I haven't heard that. I mean, I mean, to me, that bill would have been so great. You know, Night Ranger definitely. Yeah. I mean, there's so much that goes into support bands you know i've been talking to a lot of kiss fans lately who are like who's going to be supporting kiss on these final 50 dates i'm like a painter oh they need to bring a band out i'm like why they don't need they don't need a band because at the end of the day the opening band is there to basically do one thing help sell tickets to put butts in the seat and on the um rock the nation tour with kiss i remember chatting with gene backstage real briefly going gene you know kiss fans would die to have you take cheap trick back out he's like i love the band but it's just never going to happen they they don't put butts in the seats they don't sell tickets and and i'm not saying that's the case with night ranger but it's to illustrate it's not just about somebody going i like this band let's bring them out it's like uh, okay you got to like the band are they going to sell tickets? 
What's the cost to get these guys on the tour? Are they going to be able to support themselves out here? I mean, it's not like people have record labels like, you know, I'm sure chat with the guys in Night Ranger when they went out on tour with Kiss on the Creatures of the Night tour, their record label was supporting them with money to do that. Yeah. You know, and call, as, call as a band, as a band, they they couldn't. I'm sure they couldn't afford a tour bus. They couldn't afford crew members. They couldn't afford any of that stuff. So a record label gives them tour support because they knew back then we get Night Ranger opening for Kiss, we'll sell Night Ranger albums. So it's it's worth us spending $5,000 a week to support our band that we want out on tour. Yeah. And inevitably what what always ends up happening, and fans aren't aware of this, is usually when bands change in the middle of a tour it's because tour support got pulled Mm -hmm. for whatever reason a label says one day we're not selling enough records anymore uh we're not going to keep spending five thousand dollars a week to keep you on the road tour supports over you're off the tour yeah yeah Yeah, um brent andy you guys got any parting questions for michael I don't have part. I was just going to say Night Ranger played 14 shows with Kiss that that year. 15 were booked. One show was canceled, which was Providence, Rhode Island. They played seven songs in the set list. Don't Tell Me You Love Me, Play Rough, Can't Find Me a Thrill, Eddie's Coming Out Tonight, Night Ranger, Sing Me Away, and Call My Name. The question I got for Mike is, <laughs> when Eric Carr was doing his drum solo, and that turret is moving back and forth. And all of a sudden that turret points and shoots and that speaker blows up. As a kid, I really thought, I thought it was shots. real. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I was like, holy crap. He just blew up the freaking speaker. <laughs> How loud holy was that? crap. I mean, it was, it was, it, 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 was deafening. it was, it was loud. It was loud. And it wasn't a small explosion coming no. out of the turn. And it wasn't a small explosion coming out of the speaker cabinet. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was a killer effect. Now he did it and then went to the other side. The and, other one. And when he did it again over on the other side, I'm like, oh, this is probably planned. Once and I the, saw the, the same confetti, thing. And the confetti falling out didn't give it away the first time, yeah, you know. But, but I was, when it first happened, I was like, Holy crap, he blew up the yep. speakers. Yeah. I mean that that's you know that's part of what was so great about the innocence of being a young kid who's never experienced any of this before. You're seeing it for the first time. You don't know this stuff is you don't know shows are planned out. You don't know shows no, are choreographed. God, no. You're just like, did that just happen? Yep. Yeah. And it happens every night. Ah, oh. I didn't know that. Yeah. You know, you go to one show and you don't read anything online. I mean, you, you know, Creatures of the Night Tour, I had no idea what the set list was going to be. It's not like anybody's sharing the set list unless you had a friend in a previous town who then told you what that set was. Yeah. But it was all new to you. Every time <laughs> a tour came to town, it was 100% new to you. You didn't know what the show was going to look like. You didn't know what the the choreography was going to be. You didn't know the set list. You didn't know the stage wraps. You didn't know anything. I mean, I remember on on the Creatures tour, 
when Paul was doing his introduction for Love Gun, you know, and this was back in the 80s when he was kind of being raunchy. He was like, oh, yeah, we went through security and it was at the airport and it was a female security agent. And she patted me down and she's like, what's that in the front? And he goes, she got down on her knees. And I'm like, they're going to play down on your knees from Killers. <laughs> I was like, yes. I didn't know. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Those were the days. Mike, I'm going to leave. Innocence. I'm going to leave you with this final question. I want you to take your time, mull it over, then give me your answer because it's a very serious question, which uh, I think many people want to know the answer. And you, being a kiss expert, you're the one to ask. Did Vinnie Vincent save Kiss? Absolutely not. <laughs> had nothing to do with saving kiss two things in my opinion saved kiss paul stanley through the entire 80s yes and taking the makeup off because as we talked about how creatures of the night was never received well even though it was such a great album lick it up is as equally great an album in my opinion as creatures they're perfect bookend L albums look it up's my favorite kiss record but if lick it up had makeup it would have been received even worse than creatures of the night was yes they have great songs on there Vinny wrote some of those great songs and Vinny's a great songwriter but his great songwriting on Creatures of the Night did nothing to save that album or that tour. He had great songs on Lick It Up, but the only reason Lick It Up was accepted by so many people, general fans and the industry, was because Kiss all of a sudden can now play their instruments because they took their makeup off. That's it. Plain and simple. They became a serious band in the average person's eyes and you know i'll share this parting story to illustrate that on um lick it up i called the local rock station because they had played lick it up now prior to this they never played a new kiss song on the rock station i go who's that song lick it up by that's freaking great and i kid you not the dj goes that's Kiss. They took their makeup off. Don't they sound great now? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jesus. That's what Kiss was facing. If Kiss left the makeup on for Lick It Up and through the 80s, two things would have happened. Either the band would have finally just dissolved and gone away, or they would have ended up becoming a band that plays theaters for the rest of their lives because they mm -hmm. can only sell a couple thousand tickets a night. They had to take it off to survive through the eighties. And then ironically, they had to put it back on yeah. to survive through the nineties and onward. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine how great 80s kiss would have been if you didn't have the issues with Vinny and Vinny was able to stay in the band write those songs 
and be a if, team player. Yeah. And if you had good Gene Simmons songs to me, uh. animal, animalize asylum, uh, crazy nights and hot in the shade. You can take every Gene song oh. and throw it in a trash can. Asylum uh, is, is, is a masterpiece. <laughs> asylum. I will, I will agree. Asi- well, first let's say, First of all, Gene's songwriting through most of the 80s was very subpar. I felt like he was just puking out songs. I mean, to to his credit, he's that good of a songwriter that he can just yeah, shit blink an out. eye and, and, and shit out a song. But Asylum is an extremely underrated album. Too many people judge that album simply by the album cover and the costumes they wore on tour. Yep. If you just listen to the music on Asylum... That's a damn good, almost 70s rock album by Kiss. Really good. I still think all the Gene songs are horrible. Uh, all Night really isn't that great. Um, I mean, the best Gene songs that you might find from that era are on Crazy Nights, Thief of the, Thief of the Night. Uh, I, I, do, I, do, yeah. I do think part of the reason, I mean, there's a lot of reasons I love Crazy Nights, but part of the reason I love Crazy Nights is I felt like Gene was bit more back into the band at that time now we know he didn't really come back completely until revenge right but his vocal it felt like to me on crazy nights he was singing less growling and his songwriting was better um everything felt better with gene on crazy nights i felt like bruce really came into his own on crazy nights i mean let's be honest crazy nights is basically a Paul Stanley solo album. I mean, a lot of what happened during the eighties were just Paul Stanley solo albums Mm -hmm. that Gene gets credit on. And, you know, Gene's like, okay, I'm not doing anything, but I want four songs on the album. Paul's like, all right, crap out four songs and give them to me and I'll produce them. Can you imagine also how, if you, you know, let's say Vinny was able to stay in the band and write Gene didn't, you know, contribute crap songs, but also they weren't cheap enough if they would actually have gotten real producers for Animal Eyes, Asylum, Hot in the Shade, you talk about Crazy Nights and that sound. Well, the one thing that's a little bit different is they got a real producer. Yeah, they got a real producer. Um, And the albums we talked about, Lick It Up, Creatures, Michael James Jackson. So it's like, I always thought that too, where they're trying to save money, where they don't have to give, you know, producer credit um, on sales, you know, if you would actually had a producer there for some of these records, I mean, obviously revenge, you had Bob Ezrin and that was a great sounding record. I don't know. We could, uh, we could go all day. I mean, I, 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 I always wonder what would kiss be like through the eighties if they didn't try and get a shredding guitar player. You know, there was that couple year period where they got Vinnie Vincent and then they got Mark St. John. They were clearly, and they've stated, were trying to get what was relevant at that time. Guitar players that were just mm-hmm. that's never been Kiss. They finally got Bruce Kulick. Things seem to come back more into what this is what Kiss is about. If they never tried to jump on that, let's be a shredder band. Let's try and copy Eddie Van Halen. Let's copy Randy Rhodes. You've never been that. You've never been about that. Get a guy who grew up listening to the bands gene and paul listen to 
Vinny, I can't stand his guitar playing. He is an incredible songwriter. If he could have kept his act together and just been an outside songwriter, like Revenge. Mm-hmm. Dude, I mean, again, to me, that's Vinny's strength. He is an incredible songwriter. He just, he's not a team player. You yeah. know, he wants all the spotlight on him. And you're in Kiss. That spotlight is never getting shared. Gene and Paul are never sharing that spotlight with you. They're always going to be front and center. You try and step in front of them, that's stupid to think you're going to get away with doing something like that. And what's crazy, too, to think is, you know, he had, what, eight or nine songwriting credits on the first record that he was listed as a member. Can you, I mean, that's money. You know, you know, Kiss Records always going to sell at least a half million copies. And you you basically have more songs on there than Paul and Gene. You know, Paul would have probably five or six. Gene would have four. And Vinny's got nine. And although I would always, I've always asked this question. We don't know to what extent those songwriting credits mean they wrote the song. I mean, we've all, well, any band out there, you'll hear stories of like, oh yeah, you know, brought this song in. The producer sat down and said, let's change this verse. He changes two words yep. and he gets songwriting credit. Mm -hmm. So in the case of Vinny, what was the true balance? What was the true, how much did he contribute and change versus how much did Gene change or Paul change? You know, just because your name is listed on there, and God knows there's stories where people get their song, their name listed as a song credit. And they had nothing to do with writing the song. Gee. You know, it was just, it was just, <laughs> it was just a contractual requirement. I get to have a songwriting credit. What were the true breakdowns of the songwriting involvement in Vinny's songs? And I'm not saying that to diminish what he did, but we don't know. Well, we just don't, take a look at his, listen to his solo records. But I mean, I'm sorry. I think, I think they're horrible. Oh, I, I agree. I mean, when people say, did Vinny, Vincent save, did Vinny Vincent save Kiss? I will say Kiss saved Vinny Vincent. If it wasn't for Kiss, Vinny Vincent, there's a good chance he would be nobody. Yeah. Nobody he's playing, would know He's playing instant now. replay in a bar. Yeah. Prior to Kiss, that's what Vinny was doing. He was in yeah. Treasure with Dan Hartman doing instant replay. Kiss put him on the map kiss allowed him to get his solo deal not not that kiss gave him permission but it's because he was in kiss he got a solo deal mm -hmm. if if kiss didn't happen would anybody have reached out to vinnie vincent in the early 80s and said we want to sign you i don't think so i i mean maybe i'm wrong maybe some other band would have come along but on what we know right now, Kiss did a lot more for Vinnie Vincent's career than Vinnie Vincent did for Kiss's career. Yeah. So I totally I, agree with that. I think what you're saying is is yes, he saved Kiss. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's how I see it. Um, Mike, uh, where where can where can people uh, find? I because I know you got. I follow you on Twitter with. I know you got another podcast like the Music Bid. Uh, Biz yeah, podcast. so the the you can you can find myself my music marketing company where i 
work with all sorts of bands um, at michaelbrandvold.com. And you'll find links. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on YouTube. All those links are on there. Um, I've got Three Sides of the Coin, which is a KISS podcast. It's nothing. It's just like this, but all <laughs> KISS. Hey, uh, and um, people, people uh, that have listened to our podcast, I mentioned that I uh, kind of took our framework from a KISS podcast. That's the podcast. <laughs> um, so you can find that at threesidesofthecoin.com, but you can find the podcast anywhere you look for podcasts. And then I've got the Music Biz Weekly podcast, which is music business focused discussions. And again, you can find that anywhere um, you find podcasts. You can find links on michaelbranville.com. Um, give it a listen. I mean, you know, it the, the, the KISS podcast, again, is, is just like this. It's just a bunch of people geeking out. Most of the time on KISS, although like you guys, we go on tangents on our own because we love all kinds of music. Definitely. Yep. So uh, there you go. Uh, go uh, search out Mike's uh, different sites and the three sides. Uh, you know, let him know that Vinny said KISS. And he loves getting pictures of uh, the original Spaceman. Tell him that, uh, um, tell him that, uh, Kiss isn't Kiss without Ace and Peter. He loves to hear there you that. Go. No, there, no Ace, no Peter, no problem. There's only one. There's only one Cat Man. We all know that. Oh well, that's Eric what. That's what. Yeah, that's that's what. <laughs> that's what Peter will tell you. <laughs> but Mike, thank you for joining us. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, there you go. You have all your Night Ranger and Kiss talk for the week. Mike, we'll have to get you back on. I uh, appreciate you joining us, buddy. Thank you. Thank you for having me on, man. This was a blast. All right. Night Rider live at the fifth floor. You said Night, Night Rider. Ranger. Night Ranger. I'm sorry. It's misspelled over here. Don't throw that at me. Cut his head off. Night Ranger, I'm dead. They're going to cut my head off. They're going to kill me. Just because it says Night Rider here, I don't know. She misspelled.